This is Fine Rambles, number 168. Do you guys remember those choose-your-own-adventure books when you were a kid? After the end of certain chapters, you got to make a decision, and the path you followed based on that decision differed. But often, the different decisions would often lead back to the same result. You had a real choice, and the choice did lead in different directions, but somehow the result ended up being the same. Let's say someone came to you and gave you a choice. Whether you were going to be the monster <laughs> in, in, let's say, a horror movie, or you could be the meal, <laughs> right? So either you're this evil or amoral, ravening monster that kills and devours, or you could be the thing that gets killed and devoured. Which would you choose? And there's no nice choice, okay? Like, whatever you pick, it's pretty grim. And I was thinking about this originally, about the agricultural revolution. Because there's pretty good evidence at this point that the agricultural revolution, despite all the great things it's accomplished, was kind of a disaster, okay? And Jared Diamond talks about this. Imagine someone came to you pre-agricultural revolution and whispered in your ear and said, hey, I have this technology, I have this information, I have these techniques that if your tribe practices, you will be able to increase the density of food production. And this is going to enable you to create an independent class of people who just focus on war. You will be able to invent the full-time soldier. And you will also have more people because of this density of food. And so when you go to fight your neighbor, you will have more people and they will be more professionally trained to fight and you will win. And then maybe you're skeptical and you say, well, that sounds great, but what's the downside? And I would say, well, yeah, there are downsides. So, you know, the average level of nutrition is going to go off a cliff because you're going to be just eating grain, essentially. You're going to shrink. You're going to become less healthy. And the other problem is you're going to have to create a hierarchical system. You're going to have to create class. You're going to have to create a group of people who order everyone else around. And most people are going to lose most of their freedom. And you think this through for a second and you say, pass. And then I whisper in your ear, I've already made the same offer to the other tribe. And if you don't accept this knowledge, if you don't embrace this technology, they will. And then you are going to be the ones conquered. You are going to be the ones enslaved. So that's your choice. Do you become the monster that goes and conquers other tribes and kills their men and enslaves their women and children? Or do you become the people that are killed and enslaved? Do you want to be the monster or the meal? Now, in a previous podcast called Can the Sarlacc Exist? I said one way to think about people is whether or not they believe dangerous knowledge exists. Now, in that podcast, I said I probably didn't believe in dangerous knowledge and therefore freedom of speech was not dangerous, right? But I think I'm changing that belief. I think if you look at 
technology itself as the dangerous knowledge, it's very hard not to come to the conclusion that dangerous knowledge exists. So just stepping back for a second, you have these two paths. You can become the monster or you can become the meal. If you're the meal, it's your neighbor who adopts the dangerous knowledge technology that gives them a leg up militarily and they enslave you. But, 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 here's the rub. If you adopt the dangerous knowledge technology, what ends up happening is the dangerous knowledge enslaves you. You end up the slave to what you think you were the master of. You end up being controlled by what you created. So if you choose the path that is dangerous knowledge, that enables you to conquer at the cost of your soul, let's say, well, that dangerous knowledge, that technology ends up enslaving you. So you're still the meal. (laughs) You're still the meal. Both paths lead to the same end place. You're enslaved. And you can see this idea in literature. Take Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein creates the creature, and he thinks he'll be able to control him. And instead, he can't, right? The technology runs amok. Or take Dr. Faustus, who uses his occult magic practices to call up Satan, and thinks he's in control even when he is selling his soul in exchange for power. It's the same idea. It's this idea that nature or, or reality is in our control. We think it's obedient to, to our magic or to our science, but it's not. Nature pushes back. Nature laughs last. And the result is you always end up as the meal. Even when you think you're the one in control, you end up as the meal. The technology always wins. The dangerous knowledge always wins. And it's not even if we all get to make this choice for ourselves, okay? Society as a whole does not decide to adopt dangerous technology. Technology is not created by man. Technology is created by a few men, a few very clever people working very hard in some isolated place. And sort of in the language of religion, they call up something that they cannot put down. (laughs) They call up something that they think is going to be their servant, and it ends up being everyone's master. Everyone's master, even the people who didn't call it up in the first place. Only a few people invented Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat, but everyone is addicted to this technology. Only a few men actually created, discovered, called up the bomb. But the entire world, every human being, has lived under its shadow now for 70 plus years. Who's in control? Is it man or is it technology? And I would argue it's technology. I would go even further, I think, because I think there's a real possibility that the technology that we find that is dangerous knowledge is is out of sync with reality. It's, It's out of sync with what nature intends. And that means it's unsustainable. 
at some point, nature is going to push back. And that probably means collapse. You know, you can call that the punishment of God. You can call that just the feedback of reality. But I think the end point is the same. And for me, more and more, what this means is I can't think of all science as being the same. I think of two types of science. I think of the science that follows reality's rules. I think of the science that is in sync with reality, in sync with nature. And then I think of a science that is the science of arrogance, that is the science of of intervention, the science that goes beyond trying to understand reality and tries to impose upon reality, that tries to fit the territory to the map. Now, at this stage, I'm not very clear how to delineate between those two types of science. But here's a question I ask myself. Does the science understand what reality wants and then tries to obey it? Or does it figure out what man wants and then tries to torture or distort nature to fit that desire? So, for example, I would argue one of the biggest mistakes of the last 50 years was the standard American diet. Processed food, shelf-stable food, food high in seed oils, hyperpalatability, where you combined fat and sugar so people would overeat, the standard American diet. Now, one of the results of the standard American diet is poor health. And one of the symptoms of this poor health is bad teeth. It's bad jaw structure. It's just a bad facial structure. Now, what do we do to solve this problem? Do we encourage people to eat correctly? Do we encourage people to eat as nature intended them to eat? No, we give their kids braces. Now, braces destroy the roots of the teeth, and that creates all sorts of problems later in life. This is what I mean by bad interventional science. Rather than addressing the actual problem, rather than understanding what nature wants and obeying nature, we find a downstream solution, in quotes, to an upstream problem, and that intervention creates its own problems, okay? We are doubling down against reality. We are doubling down on this arrogant approach. Another example, again, the standard American diet makes people fat, right? We have enormous rates of obesity in this country. Now, how do you solve that problem? Again, do you educate people on eating correctly? No you develop obesity drugs. There was just an article last week about an obesity drug that would cost, I don't know, $1,500 a month. And if you started to take it, you would have to take it forever. You would become dependent on this technology. You would become dependent on this drug, this very expensive drug, forever. Rather than solving the problem created by the first intervention, which was the standard American diet, we do another intervention, which just makes the problem worse. I know we're running late, but one final example, because I just can't resist. Steven Pinker, who, who gets a lot of stuff right and a lot of stuff wrong, about a year ago, he made the following tweet, okay, quote, swallowable robotic pills 
will dispense antidepressants according to wirelessly broadcast schedules, helping workers receive medicine when they are under the most stress. Human ingenuity is truly boundless, end quote. As if it's a good thing that we can remotely drug workers when they are so stressed that they require antidepressants. No, the problem is that the workers are in that situation to begin with. But do we address that problem? Do we address the soul-crushing work that, that the modern industrial system requires? No, we find a way to remotely drug them. We find a way to wirelessly dole out doses of, of soma to, to anesthetize them to the horrible conditions of their lives. That is the wrong approach to science. That is the wrong approach to technology. That's all I've got this week. I'll catch you later.